We are going to be coming out of Matthew 26 today, if you want to follow along there. And we're going to be talking again about the Lord's table, but this time from the Sabbath perspective. And when we see pictures of the Last Table, or the Last Supper, um, we sometimes have seen that picture of what looks like a Colosseum, and they're, they're all sitting on one side of the table like they're posing for a picture. I don't uh, believe that that was necessarily how the scene looked. I thought maybe it looked something more like this in a, a smaller room and, and huddled around a table and talking. And when we think about the Lord's table many times, um, we maybe picture the apostles and Jesus doing it like we do it in church. And again, that's not really the historical um, way that it was handled at that time. What was transformed at that moment was the Passover meal. And we're going to be coming into the time when the Jewish people still celebrate uh, the Passover. But this is where um, Jesus was at this time and the apostles. And they were celebrating this Passover meal. Now in your bulletin, if you have it, you can see the 15 parts of the, the Passover. And there's a lot of names there um, that you probably don't recognize, you probably can't pronounce. Um, but I do have some handouts in the back if, if this is something that interests you. I just wanted to really bring out the significance because as I started reading and wondering what did it really look like when Jesus was there with his apostles having this last supper, what, what was transpiring there? What was it that, that the atmosphere, like what was the, the mood? What was it that Jesus was, was trying to portray? And you really needed to get back into studying Jewish history because this was a Jewish celebration and so that's what we are going to uh, be looking at today. So don't be intimidated by these 15 names. Again, um, back where Julie is, back by the bulletins there, there's probably 20, 30 handouts. It's just a one-page thing. It just talks about these 15 things and those are actually from a Jewish perspective. This is uh, for a Jewish group that uh, we do in the prison. And this is something that they follow. So it's sort of an Orthodox Jewish thing. Some of you have studied Jewish history. You understand a lot about the feast, a lot about uh, the Passover and the significance of it. Um, but I just want to relate that to how we maybe would view that today. How would this look to us today? And so t this week we're going to be coming out of Matthew 26, uh, 20 through 28. And this is another account. Last week we were in 1 Corinthians. Um, this is another account of the Lord's table. And it says, When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? He answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to the man to whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? And he said to him, You have said it. 
And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it. And he gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks. And gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many in the remission, for the remission of sins. So we see a couple things that are going on here. Probably next week we're going to get into this first part of, uh, of the betrayal and different things that were going on there. But we see where Jesus was transforming this. And as we read this, we really don't see the beginning of this Passover meal. And so all these Passover parts, these 15, and if I try to mention some of them, I'm going to butcher some, so please don't uh, hold me too accountable for uh, my language uh, on these. But these were all parts that signified important parts of the Passover. And so what I want to do is just talk about each of them uh, briefly, and we'll see how much time we have at the end. But for the Jewish people, when they would come together, everything had significance. Everything had a great weight to it. Everything had, had meaning to why they were doing it. For, uh, and, and I would suppose maybe there were some uh, Jewish people at that time that uh, might do like we do. Maybe sometimes take it a little lightly. Uh, don't pay attention quite the way we should. But really for the devout Jew... This was a time of celebration once a year. It was a somber occasion. It was a serious occasion. It was a joyful occasion. Um, but one of the things, again, that, that I would um, emphasize is that it all had meaning. There wasn't anything that was there that really didn't have significance to this meal. So everything that they did in this meal had significance. And again, um, we could talk hours about going through the Passover meal and probably still not touch everything that was significant and important in it. Uh, but I just want to lightly touch on these different parts so we can understand some of it. So the first part was the Kadesh. And um, they would have a cup of wine and they would recite the prayer over this cup of wine. Now this is the first cup of wine. Now there's a total of four cups of wine that were given through the Passover and it's important that, that uh, uh, we understand that because we're going to see where Jesus intercedes in one of these cups. Um, they would be leaning back, sort of, well, we don't have the picture up there, but they would sort of be leaning and reclining back and I was wondering about that. Why was that that they were leaning? Because in Jewish times, a lot of times they would stand up for the Passover. Okay, But here it says that they were leaning back. And one of the things that I had found out, and, and there's a lot of notes on this, so I'm going to read, just read some so I get this correctly. Um, but it sort of was to highlight their status as a free people. See, if you're a slave, you would be standing. If you were a servant, you would be standing. Um, but if you were the owner of the house or if you were a guest in a house, you would be relaxing and leaning back. So this is what this was about a little bit. It highlighted their status um, as a free people and also as, as sort of the royal priesthood or a royal nation of God. And so even the way that they would lounge around had significance in, in remembrance of their redeeming out of Egypt. And so they had this, this first cup of wine, they would have a blessing and they would 
um, partake of that together. The second, and I'm not going to try to pronounce that, your chats, I guess, um, they could, at this thing, they would wash their hands. They didn't need to recite a prayer over this time, but they would always wash their hands before uh, they would dip the next um, herbs into the water. Now, your mom and dad probably raised you up the same way, right? Saying, wash your hands before you eat. This also had significance in it because um, they were really required to wash their hands before doing this. And a lot of this comes out of the, the Torah, out of the first five books of the Bible, if you read through them. And so that was a significant thing too, a thing of obedience, a thing that they would show one another. The third thing was this carpus. And this was a vegetable, a potato, radish, celery, cucumber, something like that that they would have. So as they're you can see as they're eating, it was a very structured meal. It wasn't just people sitting down and, you know, past the potatoes, past the lamb, past this or that. Everything had significance. Everything had a timing. Everything had a, a way of, of going around. And uh, they would dip this vegetable in water, and it was a salt water. And the reason for the salt water was to remind them of tears. Have you ever tasted a tear? Ever cry and taste your tears? They're salty, aren't they? Well, this was a remembrance. That's why they dipped it in salt water. It was a remembrance of their tears from the Jews being in Egypt, the labor, their bondage, the sadness that was with that. And so as they were partaking again of this Passover meal, these would be reminders of what their ancestors had gone through in Egypt, the sadness that was there. There is also some uh, teaching that it had to deal with um, the robe that was dipped in, Joseph's robe that was dipped in blood when his brothers were going to present it to the father as, as um, him being killed by a wild animal. So the dipping, the dipping had significance. The salt in the water had significance also. Uh, the next word for yachats, I would say. Um, so they would have these three pieces of matzah and they would break a piece out of the middle and um, the center plate and they would leave the rest for later actually sometimes uh, they would go hide a piece of it so they so they wouldn't eat it they would go hide it um, but this was really um, as it says here to recall their haste so matzah do you know what matzah is unleavened bread it's bread without yeast so in the old days, maybe some of you remember this, when you would make bread, would you usually save out a little piece of dough for the, for the next batch, wouldn't you? You always saved out another piece because that's just how you kept it going from time to time. That little bit of yeast would go. Well, this was made without yeast. And there's a lot of significance in this. One is the haste in which they left Egypt. Right? All of a sudden, God said, you can go. Pharaoh said, you go. And they just packed up and they left. So it shows the haste. The bread didn't have time to rise. It was something that was um, without yeast. And actually the Jews today, they are very particular uh, during Passover time about cleaning their whole house, making sure that there's uh, no yeast or none of this uh, in their, even in, anywhere in their house. Uh, it's become just a, a religious significance to them. But that was the thing about this matzah, was just unleavened bread, would show the haste in which they uh, would leave. Um, and I think there was another teaching that I had read about that even for us it sort of shows this thing that we're taking nothing from our past with us. So again, as you would think about um, somebody that would keep this piece of dough that they could raise it, you know, in their next uh, 
loaf of bread, those things were left behind. The things of the past uh, were left behind. So uh, breaking the bread symbolized the broken spirit of the people being in bondage. So even when they would break this bread to hand it to somebody, and we do that, you know, we talk about Jesus took the bread, and when he had broke it, gave thanks. Okay, you look at that broken piece. As Jesus and the disciples are going through this, they are actually going through everything that we are talking about here today. It would remind them of the broken spirit in the bodies of the Jews in Egypt. And it also symbolized that sometimes we need to break things in our life to be more godly, right? Maybe we need to break bad habits. We need to break thought patterns. We need to break something in our life that we can be more Christ-like, we would say today. But theirs was to be more godly. So if they had things in their life, when we go through Corinthians, we read that scripture that says, therefore let a person examine himself. Okay? So that was a time of reflection. They would remember the breaking. And as they broke it, it would be, is there things in my life that I need to give up? Are there things in my life that I need to break away from? The fifth thing, Majid, I'm going to call it. Uh, this was really the lengthy, lengthy part of uh, the setter meal. So the, the Passover, we talk about where they have the setter meal within there. And this was really a time when they would uh, retell the story, retell the accounts of their ancestors and them leaving uh, living in the bondage and then being set free from this uh, bondage that was there. It was a time when they were looking at that as the redemption, right? So when they were turned loose from Egypt, that was a time of redeeming for them. And so they looked at that as a, a very special time. This is also where the second cup of wine would come in. So they would have that and they would drink that um, after they were done telling all these stories and telling all these accounts of, of how they lived. So they wanted to remember from where they came from. Again, the scriptures will tell us, remember from where you once came. So as believers today, New Testament believers, we remember that we were lost without Christ. We remember our former selves. We remember the sin that we were in bondage to. In many of the same ways, that's where this comes from. This is where a lot of Jesus' teachings come from. And so as they are sitting around that table, that's what they are thinking about. They're thinking about the, the freedom that came through God. And they thought about all these generations that God had stood by the Jewish people and protected them. And the Jewish people still today, as they celebrate this, uh, see God's hand upon them and they thank God's hand for that. And they would have this second cup of, of blessing at this time. Then the third... I'm going to say it's rach, rachza, maybe. They would wash their hands, but this time they would recite a blessing because they're coming to an important part. So this is another time where they would, they would clean themselves of, of the former and they would be getting ready for the matzo, which was coming next. And that is number seven. And they would recite a blessing over the matzo. And this is when they would thank God. So it's like us when we get together for a meal sometimes. We'll pray and thank God. Except this was a yearly event. And they would thank God for the food that they were about to eat. But they would recognize that God was the source of their substance. That God was the one that provided for them all through the year. So, you know, where they would have this yearly thing, they would come together and just recognize God. So this blessing... And uh, we may touch a little bit more on some of these next week, but this blessing was really just thanking God that he's the source of all that we have.
Do you get some pictures of how we do that today? You know, we thank God for being sovereign in our lives. We thank God for our daily provisions. When we sit down sometimes and bless our foods, thank you, Lord, for this food which we are about to receive. Thank you for my health. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for my church. We have that prayer time where we are thankful for God for all that he does. And as true believers, we should be recognizing him as the source of all these things. Well, that's what they were doing. They've gone through about half of them now, seven steps. And every one of these has significance in what they are believing and in what they are doing. Number eight is the matzah. And it says, we eat the matzah on Passover instead of regular bread to recall the haste in which our ancestors left Egypt. They left in such haste that their dough did not have enough time to rise, just as our ancestors. Redemption from Egypt happened so quickly, and we should never give up that God can change anything in a split second. They understood that God could change their circumstances in a split second. We understand that too, don't we? We believe today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of the Lord. God can interact at any time. And so that was the matzah. Then they had the maror. Maror, I think. Um, And that was a bitter vegetable. And uh, it usually says it was uh, horseradish or romaine lettuce. And I was thinking romaine lettuce. I think my wife buys romaine lettuce. But I don't think it's bitter. I don't know. I, I don't think I'd like a bitter salad. But those were the two things. This um, horseradish or romaine lettuce to recall the bitterness of the Egyptian exile. See, again, as they're eating these things, and they're partaking of these things, and they're thinking, this is a reminder of the bitterness of bondage. For us, we can look back and say, this is what, you know, I can look back and I can remember what sin did to my life. How sin affected relationships. How sin was seeking to destroy me in my life. Well, they would look back and they would think of the bitterness of being enslaved. The bitterness of of being God's people, but yet under the authority of another. And all the hard work and all those things that went on. And that God took pity on the ancestors by saving them from these oppressors. God had sent them free. And so where we see it's also a seriousness and a reflection back. And, you know, we can think back sometimes. You know, I've talked with people that have um, been involved somewhere where their families have been involved with the Holocaust or, or war things. And as they talk about the past or their family, you know, tears come to their eyes. They, they, they get saddened at the thought of things that in the past... Well, that's what was happening with the Jewish people here. They were remembering back, and there was a sadness back there of this oppression and of this uh, slavery that was going on. But they also are going to have the joy of knowing what God is going to do in their life. Number 10 is Korich, and it's the times of the Temple of Jerusalem. So when the, when the uh, temple was around, um, they would have the sacrificial lamb that would come. And they were required to eat three, ad, uh, three items according to the Torah again. And that was the lamb, the matzah, and the maror. And they would eat those three together. It was commanded that they would eat those three together. Because um, the Torah says you should eat it, the Paschal lamb, or the, the Passover lamb, upon matzos and maror. And it says today that they no longer eat the, the lamb anymore because the temple is destroyed. 
See, they needed that temple to go and to offer that sacrifice of that lamb. But they do not have the temple anymore, but they still eat the other two wrapped together. So the matzah and the mar, it's wrapped together, and uh, it, it literally means to wrap. And again, this wrap can go back to the word of pain. So they're thinking of the pain that they went through back then. Symbolically wrapping matzah with mar reminds of the pain and struggles and it's symbolized by the bitter mar. And uh, it's a necessity to achieve personal growth and freedom. So what they're looking at there is that there was pain back then, but pain causes growth. Sometimes as believers, we need to go through some pain in our life, some trials, some tribulations in our life. But we know that God works all things together to those who love him. And so they would look at that and they would say, this is a, a symbol again of something that was going on that um, it maybe isn't the most pleasant thought, but they could see the good that it was coming out of. Eleven. Um, after being extensive, uh, after our extensive discussion on how God took out of Egypt, we celebrate with a festival meal. And some of the customs is they would eat a hard-boiled egg. I found this interesting with hard-boiled eggs because I like hard-boiled eggs. But they would many times start with a hard-boiled egg. That would be the first thing that they would eat. And there were symbols in that. So they're going to have this festive meal now because they're coming through now their deliverance as they're having this meal. And this meal many times would take a long period of time to accomplish. But here they're going to have this festive meal. And uh, it says an egg was a symbol of mourning. Not M-O-R-N-I-N-G, but M-O-U-R, being sad, mourning, a loss of something. So it symbolized that for them. And it says that they mourned because they no longer had the temple in Jerusalem. Sometimes we look at religions around us and we can see the emptiness of things that people grasp at. The Jews today still mourn because they don't have a temple in Jerusalem. They're missing the blessing of Jesus Christ when Jesus says, our body becomes the temple of God. You know, Jesus is our one that we look to now, not to a, a building or to a structure. Eggs represented the ideal way of to endure suffering. See, they had the, the concept in their mind, which is true, that usually when you cook foods, they get softer. You take a, baked potato, you take a potato and you bake it, and it's not, it was, goes from hard to soft. Well, an egg is just the opposite. An egg is soft, or liquefied inside, and as it cooks, it gets harder. And that taught them resolve, that there's times we need to stand up, that we need to be strong, that, that we need to be hard to face these things that are going to come upon us in the world, that we can overcome personal struggles in our lives. And so through the Passover meal, this was another teaching. And I should say, as these Passover meals were happening, they would have the whole family there. Sort of like a, when we would say Christmas time, we have the whole family gathered around the table. So you would have the elders that are there most likely leading the Passover meal. But you would have kids of every age all the way down to the babies. They would all be there. And this was a big teaching event for them. They were teaching them the importance of God, keeping your eye on God, what God has done for us. And they would look back just as we do, we reminisce about what God has done for us. 
And so they were teaching these young children, this is our heritage, this is who we are. We are God's people. God has delivered us. God has set us free. Yes, we are in bondage. Yes, there is pain and suffering. But God has redeemed us. He turned us free out of Egypt and we are now free people. And as they get to the saying, they talk about resolve and they talk about standing strong. It's really that calling that God has a purpose for you. So at this Passover, they're telling the children, God has a purpose for you. You have gifts that God wants to use. Be strong in your faith. Be strong in those things that are around you. And then they would have number 12, the tzafon, I guess is how you would pronounce it. And this is that larger piece of uh, matzah that was hid back in, in number 4. And they would eat this. And the reason that they would eat this at this time is it had a strong taste and they wanted the, the teaching of that was that that taste would stay with them, that it would linger on for a long time. Just as we are to think, or as they were to think at that time, that the Passover experience would linger on throughout the whole year. They would always remember that. If you ever ate something that you just thought was so good or had so much significance that you can still remember the taste of it today? You know, we have those occasions. That was the teaching here. Remember this taste. Remember this, this flavor. And it would hang with them. It would linger with them. And they would remain with them. They would hope, uh, not the taste, but the memory of it throughout the whole year coming up. We remember. And we say the same thing when we come to the Lord's table. We don't just come here and, and, and eat a piece of bread and drink a piece of cup and walk out and like forget it. We sort of remember, we remember, we commemorate what Christ has done for us. We should be taking that with us every day. That Jesus died for me. That he gave his life for me. That he shed his blood for me. We should always remember that. And that was part of this number 12. Not as Christ but what God had done for them. The experience to linger with them that whole time. Then Barash, the finishing of the, the rest of the matzah, they recite a customary blessing, and then they would continue um, with the, the matzah. And then they would come to, uh, this is the third cup. And this is significant, we'll probably, we're not going to get into it this week, but this is where Jesus came in, and this is where our scripture takes place today. When it says Jesus taking the cup. This was the third cup. So everything that, that we've talked about so far has come to where our scripture now begins. Where it says Jesus took this bread and he took this third cup. These are the two steps here, 12 and 13 and, and from there on. And so they would drink this third cup. And after drinking the third cup, uh, they would pour an additional cup of wine. This would be the fourth cup of wine for the prophet Elijah. So, what do you think that signified? Their hope wasn't in a living Savior. Their hope wasn't in, in God there. But they thought that Elijah was going to usher in their coming redemption. And so, their statement, their book tells us that the additional cup of wine for the prophet Elijah pouring this cup is meant to express their sincere hope and expectation of the final redemption to come soon, ushered in by Elijah the prophet. That's their fourth hope. This is where they've missed Jesus. And we're going to talk about that next week. This is where they've missed the calling of God, where Jesus had fulfilled all that prophecy. 14 is the halal. They sing extensive praises to God. They sing to God just like, uh, and I always like it when Larry ad-libs, scripture or songs. I think that they're great. 
You can never really sing enough praises to God. I was walking out last night with uh, one of our pastors from the prison, and uh, he was talking about our our choir in our in our prison, and we have a wonderful choir. And he says, you know, there's something infectious about that music. And he says, you know, uh, his church. He says we do contemporary music, and he says we got a wonderful praise team. But he says there's something different about it up here. And I said, well, I really think one of the things is is that um, our our prison choir, for them, it's a ministry. I mean, we have a choir that that's what they focus on, that's what they think about, that's what they meditate on, is God, and how can we glorify God in our songs and in our, in our presentation and in our message and in our meaning and everything that they do. It's a ministry to God, where I think a lot of times churches uh, use music as fillers, or on the other side, they may use it as, uh, as uh, productions or showtime. So it can be both those things. You know, sometimes we say, well, you know, we've always done two hymns for the last hundred years. We're going to continue to do two hymns. And we've always done this and we've always done that. And it's not that those things are necessarily wrong, but there's a difference. And so they would sing these uh, continual songs. And a lot of times they were out of the Psalms, I think 115, 118, somewhere in there. And you sort of ask yourself this question, well, does God need... To hear us sing to him? Does he need uh, our praises to him? And the answer is, is really no. He doesn't need that from us, but we need to do it for our benefit towards him. Because the blessing comes to us when we do it. We do it for our own sake. We praise God for our own sake. We praise God just glorifying him for who he is and what he has done and for what he does in our lives and just to appreciate him. For what he does. If you read through those Psalms, we might touch on those next week a little bit, or at least give you reference to them. Um, they're beautiful songs about glorifying God for all he did. So, again, for the Jewish people, and Jesus up to this time, up to this point, this is all what this was. Because remember, it says in the scripture, when they were done taking of the, of the bread and the, the blood, it says they went out to the garden and sang songs. They're still following what the Passover said. It's just that he interrupted it at the third part. And the last one, Nurtsta, I guess, would be called of it. Um, and I should say right before this is when they would drink that fourth cup of, of wine in expectation of Elijah bringing the, uh, uh, the final Messiah. Um, but at this Nitzra, this is the conclusion. Again, they would sing songs and praise God. Um, really highlighting that God is supreme over all his creation. So this is sort of a snapshot of what um, the Passover was all about and the setter meal that they uh, would celebrate. And again, you could talk about this for hours, the significance of all this. But as we talk about what ours is, the Lord's table, and where he converted it into the Lord's table, it sort of gives us background that this is what the apostles were doing. This is what Jesus was doing. This is um, the time that they were together doing these things together. They were going through all these steps. They were remembering all these things. They were praising God in all these things. And then Jesus stepped in. And he says, guess what? We're not looking forward to something. I am the fulfillment of that scripture. I am the fulfillment of the redemption. The redemption is no longer yet to come, but it will be accomplished in just a few days because after they leave this Passover setting, where do they go? They go to the Mount of Olives, right? 
They're singing songs, but that's also where Jesus was betrayed. That's also where he was going to be arrested. And within a short period of time, he was going to be tried in a mock trial, hung upon the cross, given his life for us. Things were about to change very quick after this. And so that's part of the significance of, of the Lord's table. But this is just a little background. Again, in the back we have uh, uh, a little bit more in-depth description if you want to read through it and, and understand it. I know I sort of ramble on up here. Um, but it is a fascinating thing to look at and the significance of it. And if I would say anything for us as believers today, when we come to the Lord's table, we should still have that reverence. We should still have that, um, that teaching moment, remembering who we were, lost in our sin, without Jesus. Remembering again what he did, that he went to the cross, he died for the sins of the world, and that he rose again. And what we're looking forward to is not another redemption. We're just looking forward to the return of Christ when he calls us home to be with him. So uh, we'll continue next week because there is one other part. The first part of the scripture that we uh, read through today, uh, I want us to, to really think about. And that was, who was around the table? And how did Jesus respond? Because the Bible tells us he has left us an example that we should follow in his footsteps. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the richness of the scriptures that teach us all things. Sometimes as New Testament believers, as believers in this new covenant, uh, we tend to uh, gloss over much of the Old Testament and gloss over uh, some of the the things that were so vitally important to your nation. But yet they are rich in teaching, they are rich in history, and they are rich in meaning. And so, Lord, we just pray that as we look towards you, that no matter where it is that we search the word, that we can find more of you and learn more of what you would have of us. We thank you, Lord, that you are our redemption, that our redemption was found in you, the Bible tells us that there was no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood, and your blood was shed for us. You are our way, you are our truth, you are our life, and we thank you for that gift of salvation. Be with us this week as we go about our places of work, our places of relaxation, time with family or with friends. Lord, may we be a light to them. And may we have the boldness to speak the truth of what you have done for us. May we be like that egg that is hard-boiled, that is strong, that is steadfast. And Lord, we just thank you again for all the blessings that you bestow upon us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One more song.